The world's on fire, Tom. It is. I hadn't noticed. Seen those riots the whole time. Uh, While America's back outdoors, that means it's back to horrible racial violence. Ah, of course. What else would America be known for? Exactly. Well, I'm Alberto, and I'm Tom, and this is Pardon Me, Butler, and this is the show where eventually we did some research. Can you believe it? I, I know think that's unprecedented. It is. I mean, usually we just talk about stuff that we know a lot about, like Disney and movies and culture stuff. And this was difficult for us to admit we don't know something about something. That's true. We are extremely proud, self-absorbed individuals. So Damn right. it only, what is this, like the ninth, tenth episode? I actually don't know. I start. I stopped counting. <laughs> well, clearly we haven't researched our own podcast very well. But clearly, this is going to be the first three parts of that we're going to do. And it all started with this question of, in 1864, somehow you've got the Republican Party, Lincoln's Party that freed the slaves. But then if you fast forward 156 years, you've now got an orangutan in office who, honestly, you just have to question everything and it's showing fake news everywhere. So how it went from freeing the slaves and Lincoln that many just think of very fondly to then now. And we're going to do it in three parts. We're basically going to go from the end of the Civil War through to the New Deal, which is this one that you're listening to. And then we're going to go from the New Deal through the Second World War, take us through to the 60s. And then from there, get us started with Nixon through to now. And so we look back, it's 1864. Lincoln has just died and handed it over the Republican president to his Democratic vice president, Andrew Johnson. Now, Alberto, do you want to tell us a little bit about what Andrew Johnson had in store in terms of his business focuses. Uh, absolutely. Democrats. So so the thing is that the Democratic Party, uh, of which Johnson was an absolute member, so the thing is Lincoln chose Johnson as his vice president because he wanted to unite the country. And obviously Lincoln did not think he was going to get assassinated, so he thought, I'll go in a first. A fair assumption, I think. A fair <laughs> assumption, a fair assumption. <laughs> Um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty when it comes to being assassinated, but and I guess we'll never have a chance to ask him. Um, so, you know, he, he gets this Democratic vice president from Tennessee, Andrew Johnson, and he thinks this is going to help heal the divides in the country, you know, especially for the whole Civil War thing, right? So he gets Johnson, and Johnson is a proper Democrat. And Lincoln gets assassinated six weeks into his second term. And then Johnson becomes the vice, uh, sorry, the actual president from being vice. He is seen as one of the most unpopular presidents in American history and one of the generally just worst, um, awful guy. And he was, you know, at the time, a true and true Democrat. So aligned to these sort of agrarian farmer southern kind of agricultural economy values so lincoln was from the republican party in the north which was more aligned with industry um, and sort of manufacturing and and finance and the banks johnson was really representing basically the farmers and the south um, and it's totally accurate when people say democrats were the party of essentially the confederacy it's totally true the Democrats at that time, as mm. they were known. And that's the key point throughout all of this, right? There's a lot of, for the time, 
that we're going to have to think about here, especially for some of the racial stuff. So, for example, you've got you got AJ Andrew Johnson, a nice little nickname for him, AJ. Very he, nice. <laughs> after the Civil War, he gave pardons to all of the whites in the South except the Confederate leaders and like the wealthy plantation owners, who then later received individual pardons. Um, wow! And essentially, kind of took the stance of, "All right, all right, we're going to abolish slavery." There was the Thirteenth Amendment, I guess, but. After that, free reign with what you do down there, which brought in all of that informal segregation. And even despite his best efforts, one thing that did manage to go through in 68 during his his term was the 14th Amendment, which actually gave uh, black men equal protection under the law. But obviously, historically, that clearly didn't really end up being the case. No, because for nearly 100 years... You didn't have that. You had segregation, and it wasn't until the civil rights era, which, I mean, look, we're not even covering that until the end of our second part of this series. So that shows you that there's so much history to get through and so much stuff. I mean, we're, we're still, again, not even in 1900 yet at this point, right? We're basically in Reconstruction. So when we move to the Gilded Age, my, my question is really for you, starting with the race side of things, because I know you've been investigating that. What can you say about Republicans and Democrats when it comes to race, say, from end of the Civil War until about 1900? So when we get into 1870, we get the 15th Amendment, which was the right for black men to vote, crucially black men, obviously, um, yeah. still women's suffrage. And the Southern Republican voters were majoritarily black. That's where a lot of the Southern Republic votes came from, because, you know, they're in the South, they're fighting with the Democrats, and essentially it was a lesser of two evils situation. You know, because naturally the situation wasn't going to be great for them either way, but you would... But look again, they would consider themselves as the party of Lincoln at this point. Yes, absolutely. The great emancipator, essentially. And something that you wouldn't even imagine now, actually during this time, um, in the 70s, the 1870s, the KKK had started targeting Republicans for assassinations and beatings because of their, for the time, very pro-racial equality views. Whereas obviously now they might end up shaking hands once or twice or Mm -hmm. maybe elbow bumping. Um, And so... No, they don't believe in the virus. The coronavirus (laughs) is... uh... It's a it's a hoax and a conspiracy to take down Donald Trump, a global conspiracy invented by the Chinese. Duh. How how could I miss that? But it's an easy well, mistake, Tom. It's an easy mistake. Easy mistake. And then so even during this eighteen seventies period, we have those pesky white southern racists who essentially enter stage left, Jim Crow, who the the named Jim Crow laws began in 1877. And this was with the Supreme Court saying that it couldn't prohibit segregation on common modes of transport, which kind of goes very much against there was the 1875 Civil Rights Act. And that guaranteed blacks the right to travel on the same public transport. But then those two years later, um, the Supreme Court obviously kind of like disregarding that part in a sense, Mm -hmm. almost like to themselves kind of self-correcting is how they would think of it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the Supreme Court and the states can basically have the final say on laws and if they're constitutional or not. Absolutely. 
and even more specific parts were overturned by 1883. So we've moved through the 70s. It, the, um, there was almost a step in the right direction. A few steps was back in the South with Jim Crow and the, Demo- the Southern Democrats. And then even a step further in 83 with the Supreme Court basically cementing the separate but equal concept where they said, sure, the 13th and 14th Amendments that abolishing slavery and equal protection under the law Basically, the Supreme Court's interpretation of them at the time said, okay, but they don't say that we can't treat you like shit, which is obviously what they then went on to do. And so, obviously, during that time, continued oppression there. But then, thinking on the flip side, you know, politics, there's going to be the two main aspects, right? There's going to be the social stuff, then the economic stuff, which is what you've been looking hard into. And so, my question for you is, were there any really significant shifts during that time, post-Civil War, moving through the next couple of decades? Well, there, there is, actually. And this became a very fragmented time in American political history. Um, you had, frankly, loads of parties kind of coming and going. And it continues on once we go into the next uh, era, which would be the Progressive Era. But focusing on the Gilded Age, right? So post-Civil War, to, we'll say 1896. Yeah. Um, first, you have the Republican Party. They are, and this will sound familiar, right? Very tied to banks, railroads, factories, and interestingly, tariffs. So at this point mm-hmm. in history, the American economy, I mean, this was not a country that was a superpower. This is a country that just came out of a horrible civil war. The bloodiest in American history, I think over 600,000 Americans dead. Worse than all the other wars, I think, combined. Like it's the, 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 the casualties are just that high. Jesus. Um, absolutely. And, and so you, you saw what was best for business um, from the Republican perspective. Uh, they would support whatever business wanted. And at this time it was um, high tariffs. So of course that means that the American consumer pays for these, but it just means that more money flows into the coffers of business that can keep prices uh, high. Right, because they can prevent any foreign competition from lowering the price. Right, the tariff is that tax on any foreign import. So, the, you've got the Republican Party, and what they were aligned to, especially with the railroads, was just granting them land and subsidies to expand westward. So, this was a period of a lot of American expansion. I mean, it was a big issue actually for the Republicans. Like they were formed as an anti, um, anti slavery in the western territories party right anti-expansion of slavery well now that the slavery issue is resolved the republican party is super into well let's just get out west let's conquer all that land right they acquired so many territories and then states in this time period and moving into the 1900s so one one other thing that i i do want to call out actually um is this what they call hard money policy so the republicans at this time wanted a hard money policy that would tie the dollar to the gold standard, right? So backing up the U.S. dollar with physical gold. Right, and okay. you had loads of these farmers who were in the South and the West who wanted to have bimetallism. So they wanted to have silver and gold both be, um, be backing up the money. What this would mean would be a cheaper dollar essentially so it'd be easier for the farmers to pay off their loans back to all of these 
big banks and businesses that the Republicans were supporting. So these farmers eventually banded together in the 1880s, they formed the Populist Party. And I mean, the farmers were really screwed at this time, right? Like agriculture was driving crop prices down. The railroads could charge really high rates um, to ship the crops to the markets. And there were no tariffs for food. I mean, there, there were tariffs for um, things like steel and things for industry and mechanization. Yeah. But for all these poor farmers, they really had no hope. Um, and it's very interesting when you speak to, well, I personally don't speak to them, but if you see a lot of these uh, like modern KKK kind of neo-Nazi oh. people, they talk about how their ancestors were not the wealthy plantation owners who were a minority of whites in the South. Their ancestors were the poor yeoman farmers, these agrarian Southerners, um, and then by extension, the Westerners, who were really economically disadvantaged. And actually for them to then compete with loads of free black people who just become free and only really knew you know, farm work and domestic work. Mm. You basically had a, f a flood in the market, no protection in terms of the crop prices or tariffs, um, and these predatory loans from these big banks that would basically own all of your assets in a very volatile, you know, the, the farming sector is very volatile. It depends on the rain and the sun and stuff. You could be bankrupt, you know, one year because of a bad crop. Yeah. So you had these populists emerge and, and alongside the Democrats. So you basically have these sort of three parties that are vying for votes, mm. but you get the Republican party up in the North aligned with business, these populists who are into this bimetallism and the, the getting the silver standard, the soft money. And then you've got the Democrats and the Democrats are actually quite interesting because you start to get a shift and you start to get a shift here where the Democrats see an opportunity to align with these populists and these poor farmers. Right. And now you start getting a hint of, well, actually let's, let's think about this, right. Being opposed to the banks and big industry, that sounds more like the democratic party that we know today, right. Mm. This progressive thread starts coming through and that basically takes us into the progressive era. So once you get the turn of the century, or you could say the election of Taft in 1896, um, he was a Republican, a, a conservative uh, Republican. Um, but you get you get this this move essentially. Um, sorry, 1896 was McKinley. I misspoke. McKinley yeah. is quite a pro-tariff uh, Republican, mm. and. And a, a familiar face starts to emerge for many of us today, a guy named Teddy Roosevelt, Good old who is actually a, a progressive Republican. So let's say now we're moving into the progressive era, right? Mm. So we've got sort of these three parties kind of floating around. The populists get merged into the Democrats because they actually uh, absorb this soft money policy in 1896, even though they lose the election. Um, so my question to you is, what's the next step? what happens in terms of race once we get to the progressive era? Because I would think there's some big changes. Well, so on research, you know, like I mentioned, there was those kind of one step forward, two step back is you go through the 1870s and 80s. And then throughout it, really, you notice as then you move into this progressive era, 
it's kind of a cooling on we are no longer like the republic from the republicans in particular that they are no longer this racial egalitarianism focused party that they were during the civil war like you know the the altruistic goal was like free the slaves Mm -hmm. but then they kind of i guess stopped so strongly advocating for social and economic equality for for black people and become they start shifting more conservative really and which are kind of remarkable because it barely took them a decade (laughs) to to start doing that Mm -hmm. and as you move through to where we get to this progressive era you get through mckinley and like you say you arrive at a familiar face teddy roosevelt and you know really for him like if we want a little snapshot for the time like you've got to understand obviously still then even just saying that blacks were a nuisance rather than the plague was considered progressive and um roosevelt was actually considered quite progressive in the sense that he thought that the equality would come through progress from one generation to the next but even from that he was accused of the trying to get the mingling of the white race with these inferiors like so even then small steps just in terms of public sentiment coming from a president there were necessary little things just to say that law is going to be something that needs to happen over time but even then meeting resistance and in terms of the overall i guess um, arc of the civil rights movement. It was only in 1909 where it was the f- the, fi- the founding of the National NAACP, which huh. is obviously for the the civil rights of of black people. So, still, there had been in the public eye, kind of like stepping away from it, as you were saying, there was more focus on business. They they were kind of like the key parts of the water to obviously you know reconstruction, rebuild the nation. So, the uh, the civil rights kind of took a. It's, it's quite sad, actually, and and I think that is one of the sort of forgotten factors as to why it took so long for, I mean, basically the hundred years between the end of the Civil War and yeah. you know the Civil Rights Act of like nineteen sixty four and and the the big social movements at the time with you know M L King and and all those other big characters and. and you could, you could make the case, right, that since the Civil War, then you go through that big period of Reconstruction, like a nation healing. And then it's not even that long until like it's just barely 50 years. And then you've got another world war. And then barely 20 years after that, another one. Like, you know, it's a lot of time where the focus, I get like, is going to be shifted towards those existential threats to the country, right? Absolutely. In, in case you just heard my my Mac booting up, it's it's decided. It I did gonna, hear that. You you did. I did. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's uh it's decided to freeze once again. So I've just <laughs> been flying on the seat of my pants with no notes, but that's fine, dear listeners. I've done my research. I, I think looking at it from the business side in this progressive era, Roosevelt is so interesting because he stands out as this like revered Republican figure. Mm. But I think he looks nothing like a Republican from today. So basically, he was already a more progressive Republican. So when he was elected in the turn of the century in 1900, he took over from McKinley, right? And McKinley was quite, um, he he was, 
the, the typical kind of Republican at that time, very aligned to business and banks and, and the big tariffs and all that. And you get Roosevelt and he has this square deal, as he calls it. He's trying to be honest with the American people. And he, he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have campaign finance reform. We are going to bring in conservation policies in our newly expanded West, right? So he's the sort of Republican that goes, let's conquer the West. Right. Let's make sure we have big, big national parks, right? Okay. This is this is what led to things like Yellowstone, right? Oh. It's it's Teddy Roosevelt that we have to thank for all all these things. Um, he was quite into um, women's suffrage. He was into an eight-hour workday. He was into um, a social insurance system being established, reducing the tariff, um, and basically just frankly making America a better place to live at least in terms of the business side of things and sort of other quality of life. Obviously, with race, it seems like, I mean, was there anything big about him in terms of race that is notable for the time? Not particularly, because this was, again, a time where um, it was just a lot more passive in terms of a government interactions with this. And... The extent, like, like he still described it as a terrible problem, the fact that black people were even in America, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he still kind of had a condescending view of black people anyway, like, you know, a bit of a patronising paternal sort of sense, like, oh, we must take, I guess, if we have to take care of them, like a nuisance child. But, but, but you know, even, Tom, I mean, the thing is that Lincoln was just like that. Yeah. Lincoln did not see black people as being equal. He just thought the idea of slavery was abhorrent. Yeah, so my point being, there wasn't exactly that much progression in that sense. But yeah. he did take, you know, a small step is still a step. He he appointed several black people to some federal, federal jobs, which some did construe as a bit of a going to try get the Southern Republican vote. But nevertheless, it's still an act that you know, could help set a precedent for then hiring more. So that's really, I guess, a major, the major thing from him in terms of the uh, the racial policy. Yeah. So, so to keep kind of going through our timeline here. So what we have then is Roosevelt has a, he has two terms and he has a successor, which is Taft. Mm-hmm. I've got well, that right one now. term. Taft serves, yes, one term. And he has a huge disagreement with Teddy Roosevelt, um, mostly on tariffs, actually. So Taft is well into these tariffs. Roosevelt says, no, we need to do them away. So Roosevelt splinters off and creates a progressive party. And that progressive party, if you look at that, that is a lot closer in terms of what we would assume now to be modern Democrats, right? Right, okay. So he's, he breaks off this progressive party quite into, um, you know, basically anti the pure business interests, pro-conservation. He's also big into, like, imperialism, which is a separate issue. <laughs> but this is the package deal at the time, right? Yeah. He and Taft run against one another, whilst Democrat Woodrow Wilson also runs. And Wilson actually completely dominates the Electoral College, Roosevelt okay. gets 88 electoral votes. Uh, Taft gets eight. 
So they basically totally lose because Wilson picks up several hundred and absolutely cleans up the board. So 1912, Wilson comes in. And Wilson is seen as, as sort of this, he's the only Democratic governor in this entire like 30-year period or so up until FDR. He's mm. the only one that's a Democrat from 1896 to uh, 1932 when you get FDR elected. Oh, wow. And that, that's an amazing period of time to have just Republicans. And you've got this one guy, Wilson, elected to two terms. Um, and you could say, oh, well, is he quite progressive? But he actually was more of a conservative Democrat, what they called the Bourbon Democrats. And he made an alliance with William Jennings Bryan, who was from the progressive wing of the Democrats and had been the Democratic candidate several times. So Wilson got Bryan to endorse him. And so Bryan became Secretary of State when Wilson was elected. So this is how you get those kind of two branches of the Democrats from the late 1800s, your conservatives and your progressives, to join together under Wilson. By the time you can now see, you've got Democrats that are split with progressives and conservatives, and Republicans that are split with progressives and conservatives. And it's almost like, well, maybe just it's whole, it's so messy, right? It's just so messy. And you have so many different groups and so much change at the same time trying to be accounted for. Yeah. Now, was Wilson a great friend to black people, Tom? <laughs> well, um, not particularly. There was actually um, protests at his university in Princeton for how they honor him when, when the current students felt up that they really shouldn't. But in terms of the time, which is obviously like the important thing we need to keep coming back to. He was actually quite quite moderate, especially considering he was a white man born in Virginia before the Civil War. And so really, um, in terms of his personal views, he was a lot more, look, we can have this segregation without needing to lynch everyone, which a lot of the conservatives in his party just did not agree with. One of them could be quoted as saying, if it is necessary for every black man, well, he did not say black man, in the state yeah. to be lynched, it will be done to maintain white supremacy. And Wilson actually essentially ended the political careers of these people. He, he kind of yeah. set them to the side. It was almost like a purge of the party in the 1918 midterms, which, you know, to get rid of that sort of bad blood. Um, I personally think like it's, it's an important thing. It's an important step to it, it at is, least open up the door towards steps towards the more uh, progressive mindsets of an entire yeah. party. And it's quite bold for him to do that when mm. he's the only Democratic president in over a 36-year period or so. Absolutely. And so, and then from Wilson, really, um, if we're thinking about how then that would move into, you know, there's through... Harding and Coolidge for the twenties, um, and good old Hoover, and good old Hoover. <laughs> it's a bit sad that he had to, like you know, um, watch over the Great Depressions that happened. Like, can't have been great for his legacy. But really, through that twenties, as I had mentioned about how the Republicans through that Gilded Age had kind of cooled on the um, the racial mm -hmm. egalitarianism. Again, it was rather just still rather cool throughout this time it was a bit 
again passive i feel really feel that passive is the word for this time it's um it's like there was a lot of sentiment like there are more important things we need to deal with is what they were thinking i mean especially after wilson they're coming out of the well at the time the great war like they wouldn't have called it world war one then that would have yeah. scared a yeah. lot of people um <laughs> so really really not a lot is happening and um and that's quite sad problem. because you basically see that they're treating black people as second-class citizens, which is exactly what yeah. the laws were basically saying. And it really is, you can blame both parties. This mm. party of Lincoln was never really interested in their equal rights and in, in, in terms of practicality. They weren't yeah. committed to it whatsoever. And nor were the Democrats at the time, who actually were generally quite anti-black um, until you basically get to Wilson. And they mm. seem to have this well, a purge of the extremely racist pro-lynching people, yeah. but still not, no champions. There, there are just no champions for black people this time. Uh, not in terms of your, your federal level or your, your presidential level politicians. Mm. And there was a part where like throughout that, that 20th period, the black community does feel quite hurt. They think, well, so like, what about us in a sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Look, I mean, they created the NAACP for a reason. Absolutely. Right. And um, you really do have to wait a while before. Obviously, there's the slow trickle of you get more and more people into the public se- sector, more black people, more black people in positions of power. But um, that's not really accelerated for a good few years yet until you would get to FDR. But before that, we've got our 20s. And um, post-Wilson, there is... Is there much evolution in terms of how um, both parties view the business aspect? I mean, I imagine when we get towards the Great Depression, that's going to ruffle some feathers. Well, absolutely. Look, the thing is, you know, what creates the conditions for the greatest economic depression that we've ever seen in modern economics? It is these rampant, pro-business, not interested in sustainability policies from Mm. all of these republican presidents right and this idea of growth is good growth is god (laughs) that is all they were interested in and of course it came completely crashing down on everybody this economy built on nothing built on sticks someone sets a fire boom boom goes the dynamite and when when you have hoover uh elected in 28 you get that crash in i believe 29 yeah and then yeah it it all just goes to shit um and then it's not until we actually get fdr that we start seeing a big realignment with the political Mm. parties right wilson seems to be kind of taking a step with that roosevelt was trying basically failed it's not until you get to fdr i think that it gets really juicy fdr to the rescue eh? absolutely so that'll be part two of our three-part series Absolutely. Well, this is fun. I, like the bit that I actually um, found the most interesting from yours is the um, it was the bit about wanting gold and silver to be part of the currency to both back it. And I kind of heard that, and I was just like, "Oh my god, it's kind of like an artificially manufactured inflation." But then, little did they know, the Great Depression would take care of that for them. Absolutely. Um, and and look, stay tuned on that issue because we'll come back to. Um, currency and what it's tied to and inflation and stuff in part three. Mm. Wait till we get to Richard Nixon, everybody. Well, hey.
<laughs> Can't wait for Nixon and all those scandals. We just get a lot of scandals later on, don't we, actually? Yeah, well, if if that's the price we pay for, you know, we'll say improvements in terms of business and racial equality, I guess it's worth it. Absolutely. Well, thanks everyone for listening and tune in next time for part two, where we go from FDR through to the 60s, the roaring 60s. No, they were the 20s. Whoops. Redacted. Redacted. <laughs>